What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Sleepwalkers is a production of iHeartRadio and Unusual Productions. I'm Oz Veloshin. And I'm Kara Price. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Sleepwalkers from the Consumer Electronics Show. So Kara, I'd never been to Las Vegas before. Which is the difference between us. I've been to Vegas too many times. Well, I could tell. And it did feel good to be in good hands with an old Vegas hand like you. One of the new things, though, for me was slots, which I don't normally play. (laughs) I think subconsciously I was thinking about what Tristan Harris talked about in the first season of Sleepwalkers. You know, he was that former Googler who told us that Instagram is actually supposed to feel a lot like slot machines. Well, that's right. Tristan studied at the Stanford Persuasion Lab and told us about how casino architecture has influenced the development of highly addictive tech products like Instagram. So it's interesting for me to actually see Vegas and the bright lights and the impossibility of escape firsthand, not to mention the replicas of the Empire State Building, the canals of Venice, the Colosseum of Rome. And, you know, I was lucky enough to see the Seattle Space Needle for the first time. (laughs) I just didn't know that it was in Las Vegas. (laughs) But that's not why we were there. We were there for CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. In this episode, we're actually going to talk about some of the coolest things we saw there, but we're going to focus more on the innovations that are at the intersection of technology and humanity rather than talk about, you know, infamous toilet paper dispensers. One of the big reasons we went is because we were invited by Wavemaker, which is an agency, part of WPP, to do an interview on stage, a live podcast, so to speak, with Matt Monahan, who is head of product at Arc Publishing. And Arc Publishing is part of the Washington Post. Yeah, and Arc is also an interesting case of AI in action because they're forward thinking in terms of increasing the visibility of content through personalization and optimizing everything from headlines to photo selection, all using machine learning. 
And those are things that really matter for journalists and readers. Yeah, and this use of AI stands out to me because it provides a solution to a real problem. How do you get eyeballs on the right content when there's just so much? That said, the issue of personalization does also raise questions about what happens when machines start to know us better than we know ourselves. Not to mention, what are the appropriate limits of how companies use AI and data about us? Yeah, AI can definitely streamline processes by detecting patterns that, you know, human beings cannot see. Or it can allow you to do things at scale, like tag hundreds of thousands of articles that, again, human beings just cannot do. So greater efficiency is on one side of the spectrum and extremely attractive to people. But on the other side, you have issues of taking humans out of the loop, like the black box problem. And authenticity in a world of deep fakes. So a question for businesses and users of technology is sort of when does AI add to our experience and when does it maybe hold us back or take advantage of us? You know, for example, from seeing news stories that we should see, but maybe the algorithm doesn't think we want to see it or that we won't click on it. Right. In the old days, when everyone received a print newspaper on their doorstep, Everyone had the same front page and the same headlines. Nowadays, when you log on to a news website or onto social media, everybody has a different version of the world. And that is obviously positive for driving engagement, but may not be so positive in terms of having conversations with the same facts about the same stories. Equally, we have to ask, do we want articles where the headline's been written by an algorithm, or do we prefer headlines written by a person? And that's something we talked about with Matt, because ARC actually tested headline-writing technology. Let's talk to Matt. Let's see what he has to say. Let's cut to the chase. ARC really came out of a collaboration trying to better understand what actual journalists needed. Can you talk a little bit more about yeah. that? Yeah. At the very beginning, you know, we were just trying to solve problems for ourselves. Seven or eight years ago, you know, we knew we had to make some pretty fundamental transformation to the post and to really prepare ourselves for the digital future we didn't have the right tools to do it. And we couldn't really find the right tools on the market either. What we did was spend a lot of time with the journalists and the editors trying to figure out what it was that would make their lives easier. It's trying to figure out how do you make journalists work better? How can they publish faster? What are the little things you can do inside of a product to make it easier for them to write stories or publish? From there, about four years ago is when we started evolving it into a commercial offering. Today, we're running hundreds of websites around the world. We're in about 20 different countries. We're running Companies like BP, their internal communications, as well as some of their marketing. We're running large broadcasters and all their live video and VOD. And of course, we're still running a lot of newspapers and news publishers like The Post and many others around the world. Working in publishing, you know that AI and artificial intelligence are clickbait <laughs> in headlines. <laughs> and there was a story in the Financial Times last year which said 40% of AI startups use no AI whatsoever. Um, <laughs> so. I bet it's probably higher, but yeah. <laughs> so when we talk about using AI, or when you talk about using AI, what do we actually mean? So it can span the range of technologies from something like machine learning, which is basically a way to use algorithms to take large sets of data and either uncover patterns in it or try to model a way to predict a certain outcome, to technologies like computer vision, which you can use to look at images or video and extract information about them by recognizing patterns and trying to identify objects inside of them. And so a lot of those technologies, then when you put them together, can form some really interesting workflows that, you know, in the past you might have had to use humans to do, that you can actually do much more simple automatically. Was there a particular business challenge or challenge at the Washington Post that you couldn't have solved if you hadn't been using AI? Any story that we write on 
Washington Post, we're mapping to a set of uh, two or 300 topics, maybe. An example of one of those might be like congressional policy or narcotics crime. What you're trying to do is say, if I look at all this content, I'm not just pulling specific words out of it. I'm actually trying to figure out what is this content about? What is the fundamental concept of this content? So you pick a set of articles, let's say 100,000 news articles, in the case of this example for the Post. And at first, you use humans. It's called micro-labor to do this training set. And the goal is you're building an algorithm based on a set of real data. And so the humans are going there and saying, this article, yep, this is about congressional policy. Why? Because I know it is. I read it. That's what it's about. This one's about narcotics crime. And this one's about soccer. And so you train all these articles against that algorithm until finally the algorithm is basically sufficiently advanced to predict a new article that you put into it and determine an outcome with the same high probability of success that you were able to with humans training it. Now, every time a journalist saves or publishes a story, we're able to parse over all the content inside that story. Then we can predict the strength at which it's likely to belong to that topic. How do you create a better user experience, in your case, news experience for an individual or a consumer? With that metadata, you can do a lot of interesting things. We can figure out that hey, this is something that they're interested in reading, perhaps they'd like to read more, and it actually serves as a signal into our recommendation algorithms. From your perspective, where can businesses sort of harness the power of machine learning to really hone in on who their customer is and what that customer wants? We want to deliver more content to our readers. We want to help them find more content that we've created. We have about 900 journalists at the Washington Post. We write something like, you know, three or 400 original stories a day. So there's a lot of content there. To get readers to all that different content and to have them continue moving through your content that you spend a lot of money to produce is really challenging. And so that's a, a great use case for personalization. But where you can make it really come alive is by having more sophisticated metadata, more sophisticated information about that content that's more likely to bring readers to it. And so that's where these machine learning models really come in handy. Mm. I think. Part of what's fun about this conversation is there's a lot of cases out there where average users, you know, they imagine they see something like that. You see the boots on Instagram and you think, oh, my God, like these companies must it's <laughs> be crazy. Spying like, on uh, here. It's, right. you know, indiscernible for magic, right? Like there must be some crazy model out there doing this. And perhaps there is. But in a lot of ways, you know, your users aren't necessarily as aware of the advertising ecosystem, the data ecosystem and how these things tie together between platforms and sites. And I think as like industry professionals, we always kind of underestimate that fact. And so the net effect is that users are completely surprised by this. They think you must be doing something completely unheard of to achieve it, when in fact, you know, it could be really simple data sharing. Mm. And so the reason I think that's important is then when you do build technologies that actually utilize some of these more sophisticated methods to build data sets, you have to be aware that your users, you know, first of all, your users aren't going to necessarily anticipate the outcomes that you can create. And if you don't do a good job on the product side of making sure that you really think through the use case and how you're leveraging technology to solve it, you can generate unexpected outcomes. You know, there was the example of a retailer who produced um, advertising flyers that were able to predict folks who were pregnant, right? Even if some of those folks didn't necessarily know that themselves yet or hadn't shared it with, with their family or their spouses. And so that was a case really of both the company and the consumer being shocked by outcomes that were generated. Exactly, right? I mean, the, you know, the algorithm doesn't do anything magic, but that's a case of you know, putting together, in that case, like a marketing program where you don't really think through what's the possible data that this could produce 
And what are my users? What do they already know about this data? You know, you need to think really hard about your users and what they want and what they're trying to achieve and what the dangers are in leveraging this technology. It's no different than in that way than any previous technology solutions you might have used to build a great product for people. And it can be misused just as easily. Funny enough, the first episode of Sleepwalkers season one opened with a story of a Washington Post employee yes. called uh, Gillian Brockell, mm -hmm. who, to your point about pregnancy and data, suffered a miscarriage but continued to receive targeted ads for pregnancy goods after her miscarriage. And she wrote this open letter to the technology companies saying, please stop targeting me. But that raised a big question for us, which is what happens when the algorithms go wrong? Yeah, I'd almost be more specific with the way that you say that and like, the algorithm didn't go wrong, right? But like the implementation of it and the product that they built around it did because it wasn't really correctly conceived. And you have to make sure that like what you're trying to do automatically fits really well with what your users are trying to accomplish. It doesn't happen in a way that's not expected. It's a well-designed product. You know, so in, in that specific case, yeah, I mean, it, it always starts and ends with kind of good product design. If, if you're not doing that, just like any other tool, you can misuse it. Mm. One of the other things we did on the show was we used a, a language generator to come up with pickup lines. We, yes. Uh, based on a data set of all... None of them work. None of them work. For you. For me, sadly. <laughs> I, I don't have that. <laughs> there are things like, you are a thing and I love you. <laughs> uh, you know. Which is now the name of the book by the woman who... Yeah, she's a woman called Janelle Shane yeah. who wrote a book about it. And then she also did these things like AI recipes, like one was for chocolate, 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 chicken cake. So there were these funny things and Shakespeare sonnets. And I think it revealed two things. One is when you turn these deep learning algorithms onto big data sets, they reveal patterns you might not necessarily be aware of, like we eat a lot of chicken and quite a lot of chocolate. On the other hand, like these were clearly not something a human would ever make. So how do you think about the line between doing fun things in AI and doing stuff which is valuable for business and also not getting lost in the uncanny valley? So a good example of this, for instance, is we spent some time at the Post trying to build a headline generation algorithm. We could automatically create headlines for stories. And, you know, the idea, I think, at the beginning wasn't necessarily that, you know, journalists would never write headlines again, but we'd be able to create some alternative headlines and different ways to think about a story. Our intention was, let's see if we can come up with something so that we can create several different variants of a headline. Part of our software platform, we include a content testing framework. So one of the things that we can do is say, for a given story, let's have three different headlines for it. Let's run a test as soon as it publishes. 33% of the audience is going to get each variant. And then as people start to click one more than the other, we're going to shift the burden of traffic to the most successful variant. And that algorithm by itself works really well. If you know, folks in the audience here were to look at the homepage of our site right now, there's probably two or three stories that are running those types of tests where different people would see different headlines or different images or, in fact, maybe actually just completely different stories. And those tests will resolve in like 15 or 20 minutes. So that works well enough by itself, but then we realized, well, we could probably create more of these tests. If only we could automatically create headlines for them, we could just be running these tests all the time for every single story. But what we found was, you know, not exactly. So if the idea was to save journalists time in doing that, in the end, I mean, you'd have to come up with something that's fairly solid and ready to publish out. We were able to create something that allowed, you know, journalists to basically have different formulations that they could play with and maybe gave them some ideas of what to create, but it still required people to look at it in the end. How can businesses work better with their engineers, with their tech teams, to sort of create and not stay siloed in a way that like somebody who works in marketing feels like, well, you know, there's actually this need that I have, but I don't know who to talk to about it and That's right. I don't really know what to do. It's an awesome question. To me, like one of the best things that you can do as a business is to put those people together, sometimes even physically. So when we started this project, 
you know, we literally co-located engineers, product people directly inside the newsroom mm. to sit with the folks who were doing this work. Now, when it comes to AI, ML, you know, remember, these are just tools. These are tools to make work easier. They're tools in a lot of cases for automation and efficiency. There's some problems that can't be solved without it. In the end, though, you know, you're still trying to solve some business problem. And most of those involve some sort of users that you need to get to know. So, you know, even at the Post, we had data scientists who were on those teams embedded in the newsroom as well. Mm. You know, they weren't kind of seated somewhere else, thinking of problems on their own. There's a time and a place for creating room for prototyping. Sometimes that has to happen, too, especially with really advanced technologies. But beyond prototyping, putting those teams together is super crucial. So how do you make sure, speaking metaphorically, you write a good brief to your AI team or to your engineering team? I still think, you know, start with the problem that you're trying to solve. Like, if you're going in thinking, let's use AI to solve something, I think you're probably starting the problem the wrong way. Start by framing up the problem in business terms for people. You'd be surprised, I think, how much, you know, engineers and product folks really actually prefer to get that first before they start diving into what's the technology that I'm going to use to solve this problem. With the buzz around AI, especially right now, Mm. You know, people tend to go into it, I think, thinking this is kind of something that's pretty close to magic. <laughs> if we just use AI, it's going to solve these problems that we haven't been able to solve some other way. And that's not really the right way to approach it. But AI will be transformative, I think, for organizations that apply it the right way, with a product mindset, with a good knowledge of the problem that they're trying to solve, with empathy for their users. When we were doing our research for this panel, there's an article in Bloomberg News saying that Jeff Bezos is personally very invested in the Arc product. And then you called him Jeff in conversation, which I found very impressive. Oof. <laughs> so we were wondering... I see his people sending me an email already. But without, obviously, telling us the content of your meetings, <laughs> how does his vision imbue what you do? So certainly for us, it's a boon to have him owning the company. I think that's one of the greatest things is, you know, obviously at the Washington Post, we're known for our amazing newsroom, but we've also spent a lot of time investing in our engineering team. That started to some extent before you know, we were purchased by Jeff, but certainly after he purchased us, it opened a lot of new doors for us. And, and it gets people excited to come and work for us and some of the problems that we're trying to solve. It really inspires people to be able to build like a platform like we built you know, within a newspaper company, I think would have been hard to fathom probably 10 years ago. But I mean, today we really can say that you know, we're a content company and we're a technology company. And I think part of that starts with him and the leadership that he provides. More Sleepwalkers after the break. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. So, Cara, that was our conversation on stage with Matt Monahan at CES in early January. It was interesting because we hear so much about tech companies becoming publishers, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, but we hear less about publishers becoming tech companies. I guess that's where Jeff Bezos as an owner is what we might call a differentiator. So I was personally struck with Matt's experiments with the headline generator. You know, for the time being, it doesn't work well enough to be a commercial product. But I think it will soon. You know, look at autocomplete when you send a Gmail, like, sincerely, comma, you know, I get those all the time. And it works. You know, in an apocalyptic reading, that means that machines will take over our lives and there will be no work left for humans. We won't have to come up with smart headlines. But I think in a more optimistic reading, using algorithms to generate writing suggestions could actually enable originality. It reminds me of that Chinese science fiction writer who you and I have talked about named Chen Shou-Fun, who actually used an algorithm to create ideas for his own work. And he used it when he had writer's block. He wasn't using it to replace his creative skill. He was using it as an enhancement tool. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and in season one of Sleepwalkers, we spoke to a filmmaker called Oscar Sharp, who actually shot a whole film written by AI called Sunspring. Oscar and Chen turned the technology into a tool that actually serves their purposes. You know, you can develop all kinds of technology in a vacuum, but the technology that really serves people and fulfills a need is the technology that sticks around. You know, speaking of technology that really sticks around and then some technology that might not stick around, there's so much stuff on the floor of CES. You and I have never been to CES before. I think we were very overwhelmed by what we saw. Overwhelmed and excited. It was kind of Inspector Gadget's paradise. And obviously, as someone who's obsessed with technology and consumer technology, I would have bought every single thing. <laughs> In fact, you, you tried to buy a few things. I did try to buy that. I mean, that keyboard with the mouse <laughs> Karen, built into the keyboard was Running around the floor saying how much does this cost? <laughs> I almost bought a laser, cool laser patch for my back which placebo or not made me look very hot. <laughs> but no, in, in all seriousness, you know, there are things that were on the floor that are kind of amazing when you think about it, like from this company called Pillow Health. They've developed this device called Priya that looks like a little face, a cute little face as they always do. And it's basically a pill dispenser that is voice and face activated. So anybody could have one. I could have one. You could have one. But I think they've developed it mostly for elderly people who have many pills that they have to take throughout the day and whose children or health aides want to be able to control when their medicine is dispensed. And I think for someone who might have uh, memory impairment, physical impairment, the idea that someone who isn't in the room with that person could control when they're getting, you know, vital medicine is really amazing. And, you know, you say what you will about privacy. I think being able to 
do something like take care of your elderly parent with a device is, you know, the perfect intersection of technology and humanity. Right. I spoke to the founder about exactly that. And, you know, we have a lot of concerns about facial recognition that we've discussed at length on Sleepwalkers and we'll continue to discuss in season two. But in a narrow use case like this, in a voluntary use case where it can help somebody out to remember something very important, like what pills to take and when, it may well be that that's a sacrifice which is very much worth taking. There was another startup on the floor that really caught my eye, which was called Inupathy. And according to the card which I have in front of me, it's the first device in the world which is equipped with technology to visualize your dog's status from his or her heart rate information. And uh, this is basically a harness that you put on your dog and it records your dog's heart rate and in particular the variability in your dog's heart rate to tell you if your dog is happy or sad or anxious or excited or curious. And, you know, people struggle to know what their dogs are thinking. And if you can use data from historical doggy feelings to model what a current dog is feeling and use that to have better interaction with your dog, more power to you. I think it's cool. There was this other piece of technology from a company called Mui Labs. They were Japanese, right? Right. And it kind of blew my mind in the same way that, like, thinking about automation of drive-through blew my mind. You know, it was this, like, wood beam that looked like a beam in a house, and it had a computer that was inside of it. And the woman who was showcasing it basically asked Oz to stand up against it like you would when you're charting a child's height. And she took a pen or a stylus and marked Oz's height. And then immediately, that marking was uploaded into the cloud and displayed on a device next to this wood beam. And it just made me think, like, this thing that millions of families do as their children are growing up is now being digitized. And again, like, going back to the intersection of technology and human behavior, like, Imagine if someone moves from a house, those height markings that were such a part of your child's growing up can be taken with you in the cloud. It's just crazy. I mean, that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, do I need it? Does someone need it? Eh, Who cares? But the idea that it's like replicating this very, very personal feeling and, you know, activity that we do in our childhood is... I don't know. It kind of blew my mind. I think all three of the things we ended up talking about, you know, pillow health, the doggy heart rate monitor, and this Japanese wood device, you know, they go back to the most human things. Are our parents okay? Is our dog okay? Are our children growing up? What does it make us feel as they grow up? And so technology that addresses those questions in a sensitive and humanistic way will always be interesting to us because it really allows us to think about and tell stories about ourselves, the oldest stories we tell, the stories that are parts of novels and films and all other kinds of art. So that's, to me, where technology is most interesting and the types of stories that we'll continue to tell on Sleepwalkers. So everything we just talked about is consumer-focused and very interesting, but AI can also help address problems at scale, you know, issues ranging from climate change to pain management. And those are all things that we're going to talk about in our very exciting season two. Yeah, so thank you for listening, and we're looking forward to seeing you for season two of Sleepwalkers very soon.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.